Welcome back to Inside the Hive. I'm Emily Jane Fox. I'm here with Joe Hagan. Hey, Joe, welcome home. Thank you very much. It feels weird. Weird to, to come be home? Back. Well, you know, once you go back out in the world, as I did recently on an airplane for the first time, you know, you go out and you're trying to pretend that you're back where you started a year and change ago. And uh, then you come home and there's just a disorientation that you have to, you know, we used to travel all the time on a pretty regular basis in our reporting lives, but it's been a long time. So everything was a little bit new, but my observational antenna was, was up more than usual because you're sort of out in the world again. And one of the things I noticed right off the bat is how poorly people dress at the airport. Everybody looks like they just rolled out of bed like literally 10 seconds ago. There was something maybe sort of funny and charming about it. But at the same time, I could do with a lot less visuals of people's um, socks. But that's, you know, that's the airport. Well, it's interesting because you would think so many people have been hankering for a reason to get out of their athleisure and pajamas and sweatpants, particularly, you know, in getting to go to the airport for the first time, that perhaps they would have dressed up for the occasion. Yeah. I, for one, now being in this post-vax situation, it's not to say I'm currently sitting here wearing a hoodie, but um, I love getting dressed again. It's one of the yeah. best things that, that has changed in my life. Sometimes Lee will look at me and be like, I forgot you had clothes. That's that's how I felt. I wore a sports jacket yes. to the airport because I was like, I'm going out totally. in the world. And then I felt, I didn't realize I hadn't I hadn't been invited to the slumber party. I was like, oh, we're just having a big slumber party here at the airport. Okay. Well, I always think it's better to be overdressed than underdressed. Personally, that's my sartorial philosophy. <laughs> but yeah, I wore a dress on the plane here. Uh, part of that is because I'm. 100 years mm. pregnant, and that feels good to me right now. But <laughs> I also just feel good being excited about life. I, I, I am just so enjoying this preview of being back into the swing of things. I, I thought I was going to be so nervous. I know I've talked about this before, coming back to New York, and that everything was going to feel really different, and that I wasn't sure how I would readjust back to a state of normalcy. I had a lot of anxiety around it. I am loving it. And I think that it is just for me, and I think everyone will have a different experience and their level of comfort with COVID and, you know, the things that they left behind before all this, everything will be different for every single person. But I am really just feeling like this is like the best thing where everything feels new again and mm -hmm. you are experiencing all the things that you missed and they're still as good as you thought that they were. And it's so nice to see people you know. It's nice to see people you don't know. You're going to restaurants. You're, uh, you know, I've been taking Pilates and I feel totally comfortable with it inside. And it's just a joy. I'm, I'm really trying to savor everything that we weren't able to do for so long. Yeah, I feel the same. You know, I had a um, a birthday party a couple of weeks ago, and it was outdoors, but there were a lot of people there. And I knew having this party that it would be the first time a lot of people had actually been out in a group. 
And uh, and it was right in this sort of transition point when we were all sort of coming out of our caves, blinking in the sunlight. And, you know, I've had birthday parties before. People mention them afterwards. They're like, hey, that was pretty fun. Thanks for having me. This one was like everybody wrote me afterwards. My God, that was the most fun I've ever had. I can't believe how great that party was. And I was like, well, I didn't really do anything to make it that way. It was just they were so psyched to be back out in the world. And there was just a level at which I guess my birthday was timed well, because uh, I timed it so that everybody could uh, feel like they were having a revelatory renewal of their life. So I'm enjoying that. And I'm enjoying also, and we've talked about this in the past, I'm just going to say it again. We're Here we are in the, um, it's very warm on the East Coast. It's sunny and beautiful. We're about to go into Memorial Day weekend. And the news cycle could not be more boring. And right in this particular window we're in, you know, typically you and I like talking about the news. The news is our life. News is our business. But, uh, you know, I'm looking at the Drudge Report. I'm looking at the New York Times. I'm seeing stories about UFOs. Uh, you know, I'm seeing stories about, well, my favorite was the story about how they swabbed all of the um, subways around the world to oh form God. a kind of, they found I all these this. microbes. Oh, yeah. Well, this is made for you because it's Tell about, me everything. You know, now that we're coming out into the world again, we're going to be uh, reacquainting ourselves with all of the stuff that's in the public, right? All the microbial stuff. And they swabbed all the subways and public transit around the world. And, uh, you know, on the New York City poles and in the doors and on the benches and on the turnstiles. And they just found, you know, it's like a jungle down in there, right? They, they discovered in this process, uh, I think, over 4,000 new viruses Whoa. that had never even been found. Now, a lot of this stuff's so innocuous. And one of the guys in the study said the first thing to know is don't freak out. This is all just part of our life. Well, I'm freaking out. Yes, I know you are. Well, that's, but, you know, it kind of relates. To me, it was a spot on story because it's the kind of story that relates to what people think is, you know, they're going to be reacquainting themselves with out in the world. You know, the the fact that we're living in a world in which we exchange uh, microbes all day long with each other, you know, and- Can uh, I just say- Yes. Um, as a germaphobe, let me just explain myself. My particular yes. brand of germaphobe, I don't care about catching anything. I don't care about getting sick. I don't care about, I don't know, whatever, whatever a, a lot of germaphobes care about. I am just disgusted by how people live their lives in public. It has nothing to do with health or wellness or illness. But I watch people as an observer. Yeah. And I see them pick their nose and then hold the subway mm -hmm. pole. And I yeah. see them cough onto their hands and then put their hand on a doorknob. And I don't care if I get sick from that, but I don't want to touch someone's cough. That's disgusting. So mm -hmm. I will tell you in my pre-COVID life, I have developed systems that um, people in my family and Lee make fun of me for. But you know what? I'm not touching someone's picked nose. Here are my systems. Here are my <laughs> things that I do. I never touch a doorknob with my bare hand if I can help it. I never hold a subway pole. And I understand that may make me a bad subway user, um, but I like carry tissues in my pocket and I use a tissue on the pole. 
and to open a door. Uh, in a taxi, if I have to touch the screen to pay, I use like a spare piece of paper or tissue in my pocket to touch it. On an airplane, I am never touching anything. I never, I always bring paper towels. I always, whatever it is, maybe this isn't eco-friendly, but it calms my mind. And I know this makes me crazy, but it grosses me out so much. And and just not touching these disgusting things that people in socks and sweatpants at the airport are touching in disgusting ways gives me a lot of peace of mind. And so for many, many years, that has been my thing. It will continue to be my thing post-pandemic. And I feel really good about it. I mean, it sounds a little paralyzing. It is not casual. And it's, as I describe it, it's sounding more crazy than I think it seems. But I will say, if you just set your life, if I like always have a tissue in my purse or in pockets, I don't think about it. It really doesn't take extra time. And it gives me peace of mind. Maybe it's something that I should work through, but. I, I Can I just say something to you? Yeah. You're about to become a mother. I know. I think about this all the time. And, oh my God, I know. are you in for a world of germ exchange? <laughs> I'm not, I, again, I'm not worried about the germ. I do think about all the time that when I take my daughter like on the subway and she's putting her hands all over everything, what am I going to do? And I don't want to pass this Michigas on to her because I want her to live a free life where she doesn't have to think about that. So uh, this is something I am very conscious of and something that I'm thinking about. And my mom, I love her, but she has, she's like a hotel phobic, not, not like she just is grossed out by things in the hotels. And she very much passed that along to me and my sister. And uh, Lee has made it very clear that we will not be passing that along to our daughter. So I am right. yeah. Keep something that I'm aware of. Well, I mean, now is a very good opportunity for you to readdress this and work your way through it. It could be a process, you know? Yes. And as they point out in this article, and I'm sure you already knew this, but these microbes are healthy. They're all part of our kind of uh, biodiversity. And I'm making this up, but you know what I mean. Yes. Uh, You know, it helps us stay healthy because, um, and and by the way, it was interesting. This is just a little subplot. Uh, Like a lot of what they discovered is the microbes are fighting each other. Mm. And they, they create their own little mini microbes to fight the other microbes. And there's like a kind of like a little warfare. It's like a whole, you know, jungly situation down cool. at the micro level. And, uh, you know, much of it is innocuous. Uh, but they'll find traces of stuff that has like, here. oh, they, <laughs> you're going to love this. <laughs> I don't know if I can hear this. There's a, there's a picture of like a body odor, body odor cells that they found on like, you know, a subway. No. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, we're gonna we're gonna change the subject because I'm so disgusted, and I would I think I'm uh, anyway. so grossed out. Anyway, maybe I'll try hypnosis. People really rave about that as a way to yeah. get over fear and phobia, and mm-hmm. that um, meditation. If I do that, I will take you along on my journey, and maybe that's it's not a bad way to spend the next little stretch of time. Hi. Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. 
I will tell you, as you talk about your favorite story of this slow news period, which is perhaps my least favorite story, (laughs) can I tell you about my favorite story that I read of the day? Yes. I read a story in the New York Times about that old rag, about the young woman who won Ohio's lottery for vaccine. Do you know what I'm talking about here? I've heard of this lottery, but I don't know about this woman. Tell me more. So there are a few states who are now doing this vaccine lottery. And Ohio had a lottery where it announced a $1 million prize to a winner. And and it was offered to anyone in the state who got at least one vaccine as an incentive for uh, people to get vaccinated in the state. And this young woman was 22 years old. She's just graduated college. She just moved to Cincinnati, I believe, to get uh, to start an engineering career. And she got a call that she was the winner. She was driving, I believe. And she thought it was a prank call, obviously, because who would think that that's real? But I'm here to tell you it was real. Um, And she is now going to start her life off much richer. There are a number of states from Colorado Maryland and Oregon who are offering similar incentives to boost uh, waning vaccination numbers. And I think this is obviously incredible. I mean, it is not realistic or sustainable to think that uh, every state can do this and that they could do it often. But I, I think that we should have had vaccine incentives tied to stimulus checks. Mm. Because everyone in this country is loving these stimulus checks and yeah. everyone loves money. And there are so many people who are hesitant about getting vaccines. So I think if you had, I, I mean, I'm sure it's way more complicated than this random idea that I'm throwing out here. And I'm sure there are a million reasons why this couldn't be the case, but but some sort of financial incentive to get everyone vaccinated, I feel like is probably the only way to combat uh, vaccine hesitancy in this country, which is rampant and scary and crazy. But I love this story. I think it's like such a feel-good thing. I think a million dollars is no joke. And I feel excited for this girl. And if it incentivizes any number of people to go out and get a vaccine who are not going to get it, then great idea, Ohio. Are they the only state doing that? No, Oregon, I think Maryland. um, That's cool. Yeah, That's cool because, you know, money is more often more uh, powerful than conspiracies that you read on the news. You know, it can overcome whatever sort of resistance you may have. What's more powerful than a million dollars? Well, I mean, they're love. But uh, in in just raw, you know, real terms, a million dollars. It wins. pretty powerful. I'm sorry. Also, you're starting to see places of business. I just, I just heard about, uh, I was listening to a different podcast this morning about a salon in Australia where the owner will not allow anyone who is vaccinated to go into her salon. And I know there was that school in Florida. Mm-hmm. Let, let them have each other. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's so crazy and scary and uh, it is just wild. But speaking of big money incentives, mm. I wanted to talk about the, the actual news of the day, I think. Or news of the week. Yeah, I think and it's I think time it will, to get to it. It will speed 
into next week. And that is Joe Biden's budget and infrastructure. So there are, I know that there are speeches to come about this and about the proposed plan. But uh, it looks like Joe Biden is going to have a budget that is $6 trillion for the fiscal year of 2022, which is a gigantic number. I believe it is bigger than any budget in recent history. And a large part of that uh, is a $1.7 trillion infrastructure plan, which, as you know, and as we've talked about here many times, is both incredibly popular and incredibly necessary. But $1.7 trillion is a no-joke number. There are Senate Republicans have countered that infrastructure plan with their own infrastructure plan that is $257 billion in new spending on infrastructure. Now, math is not like my absolute strong strongest suit, but I can tell you that that is a fraction of what Joe Biden and the Democrats are proposing. It's interesting to me because infrastructure spending is so popular and Republicans don't really have a leg to stand on uh, when it comes to deficits and spending because they sort of spent into oblivion over the last five years. And it's kind of an interesting road to choose to not really go for funding this when it's incredibly popular. There's a very consequential midterm election coming up. And uh, I think people are more concerned about roads, jobs, technology, uh, the economy mm-hmm. than they are about deficit spending right now. Well, for sure. And we can now look back at the last administration, which continually, and it became a joke, promised some infrastructure plan that never materialized while spending money and not doing it, right? They spent piles of money. But, you know, let's talk about the bigger thing that Biden is doing here with these big spending things. The first wave was about securing people and their livelihoods and their businesses as we came out of the pandemic. And now this to kind of build, you know, a sense of momentum and a sense of uh, future economically for this country, jobs and the infrastructure to build more businesses and more jobs. And the level of spending where they be, they talk about World War II, they're comparing it to, you know, coming out of the Great Depression or, uh, you know, Biden is treating this moment and has been treating this moment as a world historical pivot. And it's the degree to which we all buy into that, that it's going to be successful and you know, Republicans are complaining. I've been out among some Republicans recently listening to what they have to say. And their big thing is, oh, I can't find anybody to work for my business because the money that Biden paid out to people, to workers who are unemployed or, you know, out of work, uh, is preventing them from working, right? And now so they go back to that old trope that all these lazy people all over America collecting a check and don't want to be waiters at their restaurants or whatever, right? So it's like, um, you know, that sense that, you know, they're they're grasping for something to say what they don't have a leg to stand on. However, you know, not having a leg to stand on never stopped the Republican Party from coming up with a, uh, you know, uh, a critique and an attack. Uh, and so the degree to which all this gets passed 
and succeeds, if there starts to be a momentum from, let's say, he passes some version of this infrastructure plan, uh, will start to bear fruit in 2022. And I'm sure Democrats are thinking if we can point the cameras at infrastructure being built in 2022, we're going to have a better chance of being reelected. And, you know, I don't know if you got the sense, but I feel like the arguments from Republicans are in the green shoots phase. <laughs> you know, none of them seem really have to have teeth uh, just yet. I'm sure that doesn't mean they won't have them in a year from now. But, you know, people's we've been talking about coming out in the world again in uh, this sort of interesting, ecstatic, a little disorienting, but pretty energizing experience of coming back out in the world. You know, the momentum of that is going to carry for a while. Uh, there's not a lot of fuel for outrage right now, as we can see by looking at the news headlines right now. There's just it's not there. So uh, but we don't know how th things will materialize. But but I love the quietude. I need to rewind something that you said because it's it's important and I want to get to quietude and I, I have uh, actually a lot to ask you about you being out in the world uh, yeah. amongst Republicans. But I first need to just to go back to something you just brought up about the Republican arguments for why um, they're having a hard time in the labor market. And I do think that there is probably something to the fact that people are getting checks to stay home. And I don't think that that is something that does not exist in the world and in the labor market right sure. now. Sure. However, the other part of the jobs pictures, you know, we had these jobs numbers in May. They came out the first Friday in May, as they do every month. And they severely missed expectations. Right. And a huge part of that, and we talked about this with Danny Meyer last week, was that uh, people are having a hard time hiring people back. And that is because there is no consistent schooling right now, that, or in, in part because there's no consistent schooling. Uh, kids are either learning remotely or doing hybrids, or even if they've been back in school, one person tests positive and suddenly they're home for two weeks again, and there's no consistency. There's no way to predict how that will turn out or what a week will be like. And so parents have had to opt out of the workplace. And when I say parents, I mean primarily women, right? Mm -hmm. And so a huge part of why we are seeing jobs stagnate, yes, there is a, a portion of it that has to do with the fact that people are able to get government checks, but a huge part of it is the fact that there's no reliable child care in this country. And this relates back to infrastructure spending because, yes, infrastructure means roads and bridges and broadband and high-speed rail, and all the, the physical things that we think of when it comes to infrastructure. But it also means having a fair, free, available child care and elder care system in this country, which is something that we have not invested in, that we have not figured out. And that is part of infrastructure spending too. And I know that that's not the part that we're focusing on right now in Washington, but in the coming weeks and months, I, I think that this is going to be at the forefront of our conversation in Washington. It is something that I am, of course, thinking about a lot right now. Uh, I am so blessed that Condé Nast offers an incredible time off period, and I will be taking it because 
everyone should take advantage of this thing that we get uh, and, and we are so privileged to get. But I am in the minority of people who get paid leave period, let alone a substantial paid leave period. And it is galling. Like I literally cannot imagine what most American women feel like at this point in their pregnancy and what they will feel like, what I would feel like when I give birth, knowing that I was either going to be putting my family in a financial uh, stressful situation or leaving my infant child uh, very soon after I have her. So I think that, that obviously this economic conversation is an interesting one and one that we'll, we'll obviously continue to have and, and also one that will be so incredibly important when it comes to midterm elections. But uh, I think as we talk about infrastructure so much over the coming weeks, let's just also think about like not, not just the physical part of infrastructure that we need to build in this country, but mm-hmm. the sort of care infrastructure that we need to be building and focusing on. And I know that it's going to come up so much more I hope that we are going to talk about it on this podcast. I know that we will. We have some plans. And I think that's just another great part. Also, if I sound winded, it's because yeah. I have a yes. um, a foot in my rib as I talk to you that is literally making it hard to breathe. So I apologize wow. for sounding winded, but that is what's happening here. That was so beautifully put. And um, I've read, but I also know. Uh, from personal experience as well, that it is mothers who have borne the brunt of the last year. Mm -hmm. And it's such a good point that you make because it requires two working parents to survive in this society now, right? And if you have kids, uh, I've seen it just at the schools that my kids go to, people trying to juggle and, you know, not all of them are as lucky as we are to work from home, right? To telecommute or whatever people say. So, some people have to go somewhere. And, uh, you know, how do you juggle that? And the pressure on the family has been crushing, totally crushing. That's what Biden understood when he set aside money for people to, you know, get through this period. But you're so right about, you know, it's something that we heard Elizabeth Warren talking about and and others in the presidential campaign last year about um, child care, early child care, and how kind of uh, decisive it can be in whether a family makes it or breaks it, you know, and um, infrastructure is a part of that. When we think about infrastructure, we think of all these sort of remote highways and, and, you know, pipes in the underground, but it's not that it's, it's the way we're going to live, you know, as a society. Yes. To all of that. And you have been a, a parent of three, juggling at points total homeschool with your job and your wife's yeah. job, all in the same house. And you've recorded a podcast in a place that has been uh, sometimes crowded and noisy. And, and oh, yeah. you are the fortunate one because you can do your work from home. Though, before we go, I want to just ask you, you, uh, as we have alluded to, did not do your work from home last week. You're out on a reporting trip. Mm-hmm. And I just want to give everyone a glimpse into Joe and I are both working on uh, magazine stories. And we're in different stages of the magazine story process. But do you want to just like explain a little bit about 
the process of what you're doing right now uh, and what it what uh, it is yeah. to be a Vanity Fair reporter trying to, you know, you traveled, you did the reporting last week. You are now on a deadline with a lot of words to write based on your reporting last week. And uh, you and I were uh, commiserating a little bit about what this is like before we started. And I thought because this is a Vanity Fair podcast, maybe we can just take you a little bit into the world, the torture. <laughs> Pull the curtain back on the yeah. uh, torture chamber that I'm currently living in. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, just to put it simply, you go out in the world and you collect information through interviews. You have dinners and lunches with people. You meet them for coffee. You know, I was in a in a condo last week, in a steakhouse, and all these, you know, I, in, a, in, a, in an open-air place where I had a fried fish sandwich. You know, you meet all these interesting people. It's so fun. It's such a great thing. Our uh, our late editor, uh, John Homans, used to call this, you know, the sport of kings and queens. And because, you know, it was when I was down about it, he would try to lift me up and say, oh, no, we're in the best business possible. It's so fun. How could you not like it? But then you come back home and then you're alone with all these transcripts of all these interviews and I call it the primordial ooze sort mm. of period, you know, before any kind of form has come out of the swamp to present itself and you kind of have to piece it together one piece at a time and, you know, you're full of regret for even having pitched it and you're, you're thinking, wow, how did I get myself into this? And you basically, it's like uh, some kind of minor form of like Houdini trying to get himself out of a, you know, the straitjacket and and have a story materialize. So that's where I'm at. I'm not complaining, but it is not easy. You know, you described it so well. It's really, you're you're really uh, triggering me because it was so spot on <laughs> for what it's like. You know, the best, the best part of, and not everyone, not every reporter feels this way. A lot of reporters, a lot of writers don't enjoy the reporting process as much and just love to write. Like they're writers, they don't, maybe they're not as comfortable talking to strangers because it's a weird thing. You have to like really... yeah force some intimacy really quickly yeah. with people mm -hmm. and that's not everyone's strong suit or perhaps they don't love to travel or whatever it is. For me and for you, I think we both really enjoy the reporting part of this and there's so much hope in that period of time. It, to yeah. me, it's like you have a great interviewer, you, you witness a great scene, you're like, oh, that's going to be such a good thing to write. Like that moment yeah. is amazing. And you're like, I think this is the way I'm going to start. And I think that conversation and that quote is going to be a pull quote in the story. Yeah. And you have all these hopes for what the story could be. And then you get back to your computer and you have 32 pages of transcripts and a blank page and you think, well, what am I going to do here? What am I going to do with all this? I could have gone to law school. Yeah. You, you, the, you said it best before we started recording, but it is so true that until the story is done, you cannot escape it because it is. Mm -hmm. It's a burden. It's a mental burden that you're carrying around because <sighs> you're, you you're processing it even in your subconscious. Oh, beyond. Even when you're asleep, you know. <laughs> you're constantly thinking about it. And the people in your life, they seem like they're kind of a thousand miles away until this thing is out of your mind. Right? And then you'll try to talk it through sometimes. Uh, sometimes yeah. I don't even try, but sometimes I'll try and talk it through with somebody. Mm -hmm. And it stresses me out more to verbalize it 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, yeah. maybe this story is about this. And as soon as it comes out of my mouth, it sounds silly. And it's just, it's sort of a hopeless feeling until you're done, which I think is where you are right now. Yeah, I have called um, our editor, Miriam Elder, a couple of times. And if she's listening to this, um, she'll know what I'm talking about, which is basically I'm like an insane person, like having a monologue pour out of my mouth. And I'm in a sort of, it's all just anxiety pouring out. And she's trying to just sort of say, yeah, sounds great. Uh, good luck. You know what I mean? And I'm like, blah, 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 blah. I don't, you know, it's basically you're trying to touch base with some reality other than the one you're trapped in. You don't even, you don't want to hear a response. You just need (laughs) to talk through it. Yeah. You just want them to say, yeah, great. Um, So yeah, these, these are the um, agitations and anxieties of being a writer. They're not always pleasant. Um, It's a cliche, but the best uh, kind of story is one that's already been written. Uh, that's the feeling that you're looking for. And so, you know, I'm hoping this time next week I have, I have like an island to stand on, an island of words that I can at least say I've got this much uh, room to stand on and I have a vision of how it would all come together. Um, But anyway, dear listener, you uh, are now in the kind of complicated, uh, woolly consciousness of people in midstream in our magazine business. Um, love love to have written, hate to write is how I always think about yes. it. And that is where we are. I know that this is um, pretty micro, but uh, I thought it would be fun to take you into a we little We started bit out with microbes. I think it's okay. It's all... From, is that what all, we should call this episode? From microbes to micro? Yeah, it's thematic. Oh, God. Well, this is this is a little picture from our version of hell. And, and heaven, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. This is what we go through. And these are the, the internal machinations that we uh, endure and love and hate at the same time. And we have a long weekend for us to torture ourselves through. Mm-hmm. And next week, we will be back with a great guest from the Hive team. We're very excited. Uh, we'll be talking about cable news, which... Speaking of, of hellscapes, uh, yes. <laughs> fits the bill perfectly. So everyone, enjoy your Memorial Day. Honor those memories that we should be honoring. Uh, take the time with friends and family because we can see those people now if we're vaccinated. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, what are you waiting for? You might win a lottery. True. Move to Ohio, move to Colorado, <laughs> Oregon. A million bucks is calling your name. Get the vaccine. You go back to life. I promise you it's so worth it. And uh, Joe, I hope that you give your mind a break because your story will get done. Don't torture yourself. And we need you. You may be getting a call from me this weekend, a panicked call. I'm always here for you. (laughs) Happy Memorial Day. that's our podcast this week. I'd like to thank my co-host, Emily Jane Fox, our producer, Brett Fuchs, and the people at Cadence 13 who helped make this podcast possible. If you liked what you heard, please hit subscribe. If you're at Spotify, radio.com, wherever you get it, hit subscribe. Listen again next week. Please support our sponsors the way they support this program, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.